Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Dennis Gronquist, author of a new book, Socialism, Okie style, corrupting the public trust. To begin our discussion, I want to read the preface from Dennis Gronquist's book. Question. If you wanted to convert our free voting constitutional republic into a socialist or communist government, where would you start? What would you do? Answer. The first step would be to grant government the power to write its own rules to do what it wants. Government could take power from the people that it did not have to allow it to do things they were not allowed to do. Then they could seize property, take whatever they want to do what they want with it for their own benefit at the public's expense. Ideally, you would do all this in such a way that you convince the masses it is all to benefit the public. Do you think this is impossible? No. Socialists in Oklahoma have found a way. Now, many of us have been aware for quite a while that the communist movement has found a home in the modern Democrat Party, whose liberal progressive platform promotes a philosophy that is against private property, against productivity, and blatantly against the principles on which our nation was founded, as enshrined in our Constitution. We are also aware that once their hopes of conquering America militarily were dashed by the collapse of the Soviet Union, They refocus their strategy to take over our country from the inside. To weaken us, they have attacked the foundations of American culture, the family, our morality, and our economy. So, Dennis Gronquist, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you, Dr. Dan. I appreciate your, uh, your invitation to be here. I uh, certainly look forward to talking with you. Well, Dennis, who's coming to us from Stillwater, Oklahoma, let's start our discussion by outlining the history of socialism in America and Oklahoma. Okay, well, going way back, uh, probably the first uh, operation of uh, socialist nature was even before uh, socialism was defined uh, in the Communist Manifesto, 
It was the Trail of Tears by President Andrew Jackson took property from uh, uh, that belonged to the Indians in Georgia, and he moved them to uh, eastern Oklahoma. Uh, it was a lot of them died in the way, and it's uh, it's still uh, very much of a sore point with the Indian uh, population today. <clears throat> Next, probably, would be uh, the Davy Crockett incident. Uh, but that's another story. It's it probably one of the most interesting stories that I've run across uh, in my research for this book. It happened about 19, 1836, uh, just shortly after the Trail of Tears. Um, but uh, the socialism really got take, take, took off in, uh, in Oklahoma in 1890s. Well, you know, uh, b- before you get too far uh, along, you've mentioned two really interesting things that, that I'd like to just add a few things to. You know, uh, the Trail of Tears, the origin of the Trail of Tears, was here in western North Carolina. And uh, Murphy, North Carolina, our, uh, where we live, was one of the terminus points from which uh, General George Chicken led the Trail of Tears out of this area. So... Uh, the Cherokee in North Carolina, not just Georgia, were part of that uh, that tragic uh, long walk. Uh, so we're very familiar with that story here. Uh, the Davy Crockett story also is from from Tennessee. You know, he was a congressman from Tennessee, yes, and I think that story is a very important story. Do you want to tell that? Well, yeah, I like that. Um... There was a time when uh, uh, Davy Crockett, of course, he he died in the Alamo in, in 1836, but that's a different story. Uh, this story is about his his uh, operations there in Washington D.C. as a uh, as a congressman. Uh, there was a, a weekend there where he helped a fire and um, helped put out a fire in your in uh, Yorktown or no. Someplace pretty in close Philadelphia, there. I think. Philadelphia. And uh, the very next day, uh, he and a bunch of uh, other congressmen de- decided to grant, you know, a tw- make a $20,000 grant to those who lost a lot of property in that fire. And uh, he didn't think a whole lot about it at the time, but uh, not long after that, he was up for re-election. And he went back to Tennessee, and uh, he just happened to be walking down a country road trying to solicit votes from various farmers and stuff. And he stopped this one guy, and he uh, told him who he was, and he, the farmers let him know, I know you, but I'm not going to vote for you again. What? Why not? Well, turns out you voted you voted to give $20,000 to those people up there at the fire. And... <laughs> well, he says that's not in the Constitution anywhere. The, the Constitution does not grant anyone in in Congress to pick charities, and that's what that was—a charity. And uh, so he had to think about that, and he got a lot of nice long lecture from that farmer, who really va- valued his vote, and uh, so. He went back to Washington, and make the long story short, <clears throat> and uh, next time one of those kind of situations come up, there was a general uh, that had Civil War general that had passed away, and uh, 
they was going to grant his widow twenty thousand uh, dollars to help her along. And he pointed, he uh, stood up before Congress, and he let them know that this general was a fine fellow, but there were a lot of other fine fellows that uh, gave up their lives and, and lost limbs and what have you, and suffered as much or more than he did. And uh, are we going to give $20,000 to all of their widows? You know, uh, we're not supposed to be picking charities like this. It's not a, it's not something that's due money that is due to this general it is uh it is charity you know uh, that story the davy crockett story is one of my favorites as well and there's certainly from a historical point of view there's a lot of dispute about what actually was said uh the line that is very commonly quoted is that the farmer said to him it was not your money to spend and that line is was probably not actually what the farmer said, but the the gist of what he said was exactly that. Uh, and I know that uh, we deal with this an awful lot, where uh, people in the government, uh, elected officials in the government, use their position to take public funds to give it to private individuals. And if you look at what's happened recently in our country in the last hundred years, basically, uh, that is why we're in so much trouble, is that we have not adhered to the constitutional, uh, the constitutional philosophy of the general welfare. And I've lectured often on this. The general welfare is a very specific thing. It's a direct help to promote the general welfare of everyone, not the specific welfare of individuals. But go ahead. Let's talk about, you started to mention Karl Marx. Another interesting subject. Yeah, Karl Marx was a uh, fellow from Germany, and he uh, he come up with this uh, uh, several writings. But the one that sticks out today in everybody's mind is his Communist Manifesto in eighteen forty eight, and uh, that is still quoted today as the uh, the Socialist Bible. Uh, the uh, that describes defines the. Uh, that everything belongs to the state. It's got to be a complete reformation where every, all property, industry, and everything all belongs to the state, and uh, we are just the ants that do the work. You know, you mentioned Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto, and that's kind of interesting because... Karl Marx was asked if there is one single thing that would be necessary for communism to be successful worldwide, what is the one thing in, your, in the manifesto that is the most important? And he said private property should not exist. All private property should belong to the state. Right. You, yeah. you know that, yes, I, I understand that. You know that only nine people were at Karl Marx's funeral. And Is that right? I didn't know that. <laughs> only nine people were there, and socialism should have died out with his death. But unfortunately for us, George Bernard Shaw and the Fabian Socialists in Great Britain are the ones who took up the cause of socialism, and they're the ones who revived it after his death. But That's we can, very interesting. But we can proceed. Okay. In 1915, I... Uh... I ran across this uh, Socialist Party of Oklahoma newsletter, and that was kind of cute because uh, 
it talked about uh, they had 65,000 members of the of the uh, Socialist Party of Oklahoma at that time. Uh, we had uh, elected a few people into uh, various positions in, in government, uh, and we even had one may, uh, governor that was there. Was one guy that ran for governor uh, that was a an admitted socialist, but he didn't make it. In the 1930s, uh, the, the the WPA came to Oklahoma and uh, did a lot a lot of good things, but it was just uh, you know work projects funded by the federal government, and I think the uh, uh, the state kind of got used to that. And we uh, right here in Stillwater, our, our, we have an old library here building here that was built in the 1930s with WPA money, uh, but then came came along the war. And socialists are, are uh, at least the Oklahoma socialists, were very anti-war. So they kind of lost popularity again. They lost it at the First World War, too. Uh, but then they gained it back after the war was over. And at Second World War, uh, they kind of went into hiding for a while. But when the war was over... Uh, they went to the government to get WPA project money, and, of course, the government, the federal government pockets were bare. So in the, in Oklahoma, what they decided to do was, we've got to fill those pockets up. Where are we going to fill the pockets up? We're going to have to, take, we're going to, have to burden the public. And that's exactly what uh, they started to do, I think. It was 1951 in Oklahoma when the... Uh, uh, they start. They dreamed up these new uh, trust statutes. They call them trusts, but they do not resemble the uh, public trusts that uh, were defined, or the trust in general that were defined in uh, in legal statutes of other states in the in the past. I mean, they just don't measure up. Um, the first. Uh, I'm trying to think here. The first. Uh, Trust, uh, you know, in the, about 1907, um, uh, Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, was uh, fighting to uh, correct the uh, public trusts or the trust, not only the public trust but the private trusts. It was private trust that was was then. There wasn't such a thing as a public trust at that time, and uh, he he was quite a staunch fighter of uh, the corrupt laws or the laws that didn't exist on on private trust. So let's talk about what why don't you define for us what exactly is a public trust and while you're doing that what is a trust indenture? Let's define our terms. Okay, well a a trust is when we put money or something uh some property or some contracts or something legally uh, into the trust estate uh, for other people to look to watch over. Uh, we can uh, think of our uh, retirement plan. Uh, that's that's a good one. Um, the actual legal definition of uh, a trust indenture, according to Merriam-Webster, is a document under which a trust, as one created by the issuer and bonds of bonds in accordance with the Trust Indenture Act of 1939. 
is connected. Well, that's kind of a legal term. So let's take the simple definition. The simple definition that it's a contract between the public in a public trust who, who are the beneficiaries of the trust and the trustees who are those people who we allow them to watch over our public property. Uh, with, with details in the trust indenture, it's just a document, it's a contract, uh, details on how the trustees are to operate and maintain that trust, if it's supposed to be a for-profit trust or if it's not a not-for-profit trust, or how much profit can it take, what's that money going to be used for, uh, how long does it go, what do, they, what do we expect from them? There's a... Uh, uh, these trust indentures are uh, are all different, depending on how the uh, lawyers put it together. But they have to be registered with the state of Oklahoma, uh, and uh, the, it's the state that technically uh, approves them. Uh, and they have to meet these guidelines that come they dreamed up in 1951, squirrely guidelines that say that these are not really public trusts at all. Well, before we go on here, let me let me just kind of re- go over this again so you make sure that I understand it. Uh, the essential requirements of a valid public trust. I mean, first, as you said, it must exist for public benefit. In other words, so the purpose of the trust is, is to do something good for the public. Uh, and we can get into that, but it's got to have public benefit. Second, it, it must be separate from a government governing body. So in other words, it's, it's not as if you're paying taxes to your, say, your county, and your county keeps the money in the county checkbook, and the county uses that. That's not a trust, so to speak. This is kind of like a separate, uh, a separate fund that's put out separately for a specific public purpose. And then... Uh, then you have you have to have law you have to have rules someone writes some lawyer of course writes up the rules about what the trust is for how it'll be administered and then you have to have a board of trustees who will administer the trust will take the money in and then make sure what the that the expenditures are truly for uh, the purpose for which the trust was uh, established. Is that, is that kind of uh, the way it goes? Absolutely, Dr. Dan. That's exactly what it is. It's a, a separate entity, uh, and it can, it's not supposed to be the government. It's like, like it says, it, it uh, must be separate from the governing body. Uh, the, there's one one other stipulation there for a basic uh, requirement is the trust indentures have annual audit reports that they must pay for, and uh, it must be open to public scrutiny. Both the trust indentures and the annual audits must be open to public scrutiny. Now, those four basic requirements are poured in concrete. I mean, if they do not meet any of these four, it's not a trust. And that's, that's just the way it is. And in Oklahoma, they uh, they kind of like to bend the rules a little bit. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property. 
that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Gift Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. 